Uh, I don't know how many of you uh, feel this way at different times. I kind of felt it more acutely this last week or two, but where you see uh, so many things in front of you, uh, whether it's personal in your life, things that you're dealing with or the news or what's going on in the world. And all of a sudden you just feel overwhelmed with so much stuff that's going on. Uh, I was thinking about it in a, in a couple different ways. Uh, one, just the last two weeks, did two funerals the last two weeks. That doesn't usually happen, but successive weekends doing funerals and just kind of being face to face with death and grieving families and what that's like. And uh, been leaving those and then going throughout the week and, and seeing different things. Uh, one of the things I've been listening to a different podcast that talks about just the things that are happening in Ukraine right now and some of the stories, uh, just real people and you're hearing from them and what's happening in their life and you see that and you, and you feel that as you, as you hear what's going on and the atrocities that are happening right now in our world today. Or, or uh, just this morning, we were sitting downstairs with our new member class. Uh, and right before, and Dan and Luke and I were talking, and Dan was talking about Meals by Grace, uh, opportunity for you to serve here in our community to go and take meals to people. And he said they're delivering meals to 21 different families each week, but they really have the need of 51 families if they had the volunteers. 51 families here in Dawson County that desperately need food, that need meals. And you hear those things, and you start to think about all those together. I, or I heard uh, just a story of horrible neglect of a child this week that is just crushing when you hear that kind of thing. Or, or this morning, I, I'm reading the article about what happened in Buffalo. Guy goes into a, a grocery store and starts shooting people. And you're like, Whoa. you just feel all of a sudden all those things start to stack up and you start to feel them. And there's a a sadness, a weightiness that comes with that. When you look at those things and you look around the world and you see those and you see them not just in the world, but right here where we live and the things that are going on. And I was thinking about that and working on this sermon this week. And I just tell you how uh, vitally relevant Jesus's words are. When he says, blessed are those that mourn, you will be comforted. I'm like, wow. Yes. <laughs> Makes you think of Revelation. It says, just, sorry, this isn't part of my sermon, but like in Revelation when it just says, come Lord Jesus, come. And you feel that, you feel the weight of that. And you go, and I say that because what he says here and what we're going to think about today, blessed are those that mourn for they will be comforted. How vitally relevant it is when you look around the world and the things that are going on and the weight of it and feeling those things. And I want us to think about that statement as we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been doing that now. This is week three. We've been working our way through Jesus's life chronologically. But we said Sermon on the Mount is kind of the, the point right there, the hinge point between the first and second year of Jesus's ministry. And so we're kind of camping out on the Sermon on the Mount, probably Jesus's most famous sermon, probably the most famous sermon in the history of the world. And it's three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so the way we're doing it is we're looking at what we call the Beatitudes, these blessed are statements at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But then we're kind of expounding on it by looking at the teaching that Jesus has throughout the sermon. And so today we're going to do that with this blessed are those that mourn for they will be comforted. And as we look at that statement alongside what he says here about prayer, this is the way I want us to look at it. We think about that statement, blessed are those that mourn. I want us to think about what it means to mourn biblically the way he's talking about. So what is it? Secondly, if he says we're blessed when we mourn, how do we grow in that? How do we mourn biblically in the way Jesus is talking? So what is it? 
How do we grow in it? And then lastly, why is it a blessing? Why does he say blessed are those that mourn? And why is that a blessing? And so I want us just to think about those three things together. So what is it? How do we grow in it? Why is it a blessing? And so let's just start with what we mean by mourning. Uh, The easy definition, uh, which is correct, by the way, it's not wrong, but kind of our normal definition that we think of when we say someone's in mourning or they're mourning or what it means to mourn, we often mean sadness over the loss of a loved one. That's what it means in our culture. If you look it up in the dictionary, that's what it'll say. uh, Mourning the loss of a loved one. Uh, someone who's passed and going through that grieving process and mourning in that way. And that's certainly right. When we read the Bible, uh, we see a lot of mourning happening in the Bible around people that have passed and what's going on. And you see Jesus mourn and you see people around him. You see this throughout all of scripture. And so that definition is not incorrect, but I actually want us to think about it a little more deeply than just that. I think it's more than just that. And I think Jesus means more than just that when he talks about blessed are those who mourn. And so if you think about mourning just for death, right? Like I said, I just did two funerals the last two weeks. And so it's fresh on my mind as you stand there with people that are going through that process. And you think, well, why is death so hard? And the answer is, is there's some of it's just very obvious. The loss of a loved one. There's that finality to it. And you're not going to see this person in this way. And that loss that's there and grieving that and going through that. And yes, that is absolutely true. And we go through that process as we, we mourn the loss of a loved one. But I want us to think about why it's so hard. And the Bible tells us why it's so hard. It gives us the answer. It tells us that death is the resultant of sin in the world. That we weren't created for that. We weren't made for death. We were made for life to be with God and to love God and to love others. And that death came into creation when man sinned, when we rebelled against God, that that's what death comes from because of the sin in the world. It's the resultant of sin in the world. And so you go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter two, and God tells us that. If you know the story, God creates Adam and Eve and he puts them in the garden and he says to Adam in chapter two that you can eat from any tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, and if you do, if you decide to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And really that tree that's there, I think sometimes we get lost in the weeds on that story. People say, well, was it an apple or a fig? And I think that kind of misses the point. But the point of the tree is there that God had one rule. You can either trust me and walk closely with me and let me define for you what is good and evil in the world I created, or you can go against me and you can seek to do it on your own. And as soon as we do, as soon as we rebel against God and sin enters into the world, what happens is that death enters with it and death spreads to all men because all men have sinned. And so death comes into the world because of sin. And so when we ignore God and we define on our own, it leads to death. And so when we go to a funeral and we experience that, we're kind of seeing the tip of the spear, so to speak, of the effects of sin. Right. The finality of that, the weightiness of that. We see it very clearly in that moment and we feel it in that it's most acute there. But mourning at its heart really is not just the death itself, but it's the sin that causes the death. And so I want us to think about that when we think about mourning in the way Jesus calls us to and what he's talking about here when he's talking about mourning. Death is not the only resultant of sin. In fact, all the evil and all the problems and all the things in the the world that are wrong, all the things that I just talked about, 
at the very beginning that we see and we feel and are weighty on us are the resultant of sin in the world. And we start to talk about what it means to mourn. It's mourning for the sin itself, right? Because all sin is rebellion against God, all of it. And it's the sin itself and the misery it causes. It's both. It's not just the misery it causes, but it's the sin itself when God calls us into this about what that looks like. And so you think about who God is. The ultimate source of all that is good, of truth and logic and love and power in the world that holds all things together by the power of his word who created us, who loves us, who made us in his image to know and to love him. And we rebel against him. We shake our fists and say we know better. And as we do, all the evil that's in the world is spread and comes because of that rebellion, because of that sin. And so when we talk about what it means to mourn biblically, what Jesus is talking about, it's to be broken for the sin in the world. To see the effects of it and to be frustrated and upset and saddened by what's happening in the world, but also to connect deeper to understand it's because of our rebellion against God. And that's what it looks like to biblically begin to mourn. It's mourning the heart underneath the action, not just the action. If you have kids, you know this, right? That you're concerned about the the action underneath and not just what they're doing. Right? Like if, if your kids get in trouble and you correct them and you tell them and they go, yeah, yeah, okay. And they walk off. You're like, oh, man, we're missing they're not understanding what's going on underneath versus when they're they sin and, and something happens and there's a struggle and then they realize and there's true repentance and they turn from it and you see the heart condition. And what Jesus is talking about is mourning for the heart that's underneath the sin that is the rebellion against the creator God of the universe. And so when we talk about what mourning is. That's what we mean. A heartbreak for sin in the world wanting to be see it set right but also understanding that it's ultimately there because we're rebelling against God. But there's another piece of that that we need to consider. All of that is part of it, but there's another layer or level of that. When we start to talk about mourning in the way Jesus is talking about here, and you see it really in the, in the context of the Beatitudes. We looked at last week when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And you put those together and what he's saying and what's pointing us to there is it's mourning. This mourning for sin doesn't just include the bad things that are wrong in the world and the rebellion against the things against God in the world that we see. But it includes our own sin. It includes my own heart and the ways in which I have ignored God and the world he created. The ways that I have rebelled in my own heart, in my own life, in those ways, wanting to see it eradicated in me. And so when you become a believer and you put your faith in Jesus, you come to faith and you put your faith in him, God opens your eyes to see Jesus and you transfer your trust from what you have done in your life to Jesus and what he has done. You are a new creation and God brings the Holy Spirit into your life. He comes and dwells in you, right? The third person of the Trinity, God himself, the Holy Spirit is now with you and in you and he's remaking you in his image. But for every single one of us, We still have our old way of thinking. We have what the Bible calls our flesh. 
our ways of thinking and our ways of operating and the things that we're wrestling with and we're dealing with and old habits we had, old ways in which we've been deceived, old ways in which we've nurtured sin in our life. And there's this battle going on to walk by the spirit and who we are in Christ and we are a new creation versus the old way of thinking. And it continues to be this battle. And God in his faithfulness is bringing us from one degree of glory to another, but there's still setbacks in that. And at different times we ignore God and we go back to our sin and we turn from it and we forget who we are in Jesus. And we continue to have this battle that's going on in our life. And so different times we blow it. Do you know this feeling? Do you have times in your life where you go, I just blew it. It's ultimately most frustrating to me when I'm, when I'm praying and I'm thinking and I'm trying in my, my heart and in my mind, and then I blow it and I still get mad or I'm still short or I'm frustrated. And then I go, Oh, what's wrong with me? God, take that from me. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be insensitive. I don't want to be short. I don't want to be frustrated with things. I want to be kind and gracious. I want the fruit of the spirit in my life. And so when we start to talk about what it mourns in the way Jesus calls us to mourn. It's personally. I want you to be full in my life. I want to see the fullness of you. I want to walk in the spirit. I want to see God in everything that I do. And when I don't, I mourn and repent of those things. And so maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you've had that at different times in your life. And it's not easy. But God is continuing. I want you to really understand this because it's so important when that's happening and you're going through that process and it's hard and you see those things and you feel that morning. Do you really recognize that that's God's grace in your life? That he loves you so much, he's not going to leave you right where you are. He's going to continue to conform you to his image. He's going to continue to show you those things. He's going to continue in the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin. Remind you of what he's called you to remind you to who you are in Christ and continue to bring you to that. And although it's a difficult process, it's showing us it's bringing us closer to him. So I want you to make that connection there as you think about that. Just for what we talked about last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit is an honest evaluation of where we are. Of understanding our sinfulness and who we are. And Jesus says that's the entrance into the kingdom. And so when you're mourning over the things that you see in your own heart, God is working in you. You're becoming poor in spirit. You're walking into the kingdom because you're starting to transfer your trust and you're going, I know I can't do this. That's what saving faith looks like. And so as you're walking through that, be encouraged that God's not done with you and he's still at work in your life. But that's what we think of, or that's what we mean when we think about biblical mourning that Jesus is talking about. Now, he says here, blessed are those who mourn, right? This is a good thing. So I want you to think about as we're mourning over these things that we see, how do we grow in that? And I want to look at what Jesus says about prayer here, because I think there's a lot of close correlations to mourning and what he says about prayer and fasting in Matthew chapter six, verses five through 18. And so if you look at Matthew chapter six and verse five, he says, when you pray, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue in the street corners that they may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so I just want you to stop there for a second and think about what Jesus is saying. We could summarize what he's saying there, and it's the context of what he's talking to. One of the things that's happening a lot is the religious leaders of the day are very proudful in being religious, right? We're the leaders and we know and we study the scripture and we pray and they go and stand and they pray really loud. So everybody sees them and and Jesus says, don't do that. He says, go into your room and in secret pray. Don't make a big show. Don't make it about what people see. You go to the Lord and you pray and you seek his face. And I want you to think about what he's telling us and what he's calling us to. You want to start to grow in understanding and biblical mourning and seeing things for how they are. You do what Jesus says here. You seek him. You seek his face. You seek to see more fully the God of the universe that created you. To know him intimately. To love him. To know what he's like. Don't pray because somebody told you you should pray. Right. Don't pray in the sense of so other people so you can say, hey, I I prayed a lot. I prayed for you today. Right. And and there's nothing wrong with telling people you prayed for them. But if you're doing it to that ends versus I want to seek the God of the universe and I want to grow in my relationship with him. I want to know him and know who he is and what he's like. I want to grow in that relationship with him. And so Jesus says, seek my face, go into your closet and pray in secret and seek me, not so other people will see you. And so you want to grow in seeing things as they are. This biblical morning, you seek God's face. You continue to seek him. Look at how he even tells you to pray. Right? The most famous prayer in the history of the world. What we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Just think about what he's saying there. You go in secret and you seek me and you seek my face and you pray like this. That God's glory would be seen over the face of the earth. Hallowed be your name. That your name would be of ultimate concern. That people would see the supreme beauty of who God is. That your glory would cover the face of the earth as the waters cover the sea. Pray like that. And seek God and seek his face and pray in that way. And when you do, you start to see things as they are. You start to see things in the light of who God is. And what he's like. Jesus says true prayer is seeking him and knowing him and coming face to face with God. And I want you to think about what that looks like when you do. Right. Think about the language that it uses that we've looked at in the Gospels. John chapter one. Jesus comes. He's the light that shines in the darkness. And when you dwell in God's presence and the light that's there and it starts to shine into the darkness, you start to see things as they are. You start to see the things that are wrong. And the sadness and the heartbreak in the world. You start to see the things in your own heart. And it leads you to mourn biblically. Oh, God, set things right. I want to know you and I want to make you known. I want people to see your glory. 
And he starts to do that work in you. And so you think about to, to when Jesus says, blessed are the mourn, uh, are those that mourn, or, or blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Seeking his face, coming before him, praying, asking God to show you, meeting him, wanting to know him more fully. As you seek his face, it's going to lead to that biblical mourning, but also to that poor in spirit that he calls us to. And so pray, seek him. But the second thing I would say is you put right next to that, and I think they go hand in hand, is what he says about fasting here. And it's very similar to what he says about prayer. It's at the end of this in verse 16 to 18. He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they discover their, they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And so a couple of things I want you to notice there. One, I talked a little bit about this last week. Fasting is just uh, removing something from your life, usually food to help to see the need that you have, right? When you remove food, suddenly you're aware of your neediness. And so you remove food and it's a good way uh, if you fast, let's say you, you take meals out in the day and as you're hungry and your stomach tells you you're hungry and you feel that instead of reaching for food, you go to God and you begin to talk to him and you're reminded of how needy you are as you begin to fast and you seek his face in that fast. But I want you to think about how that's helpful, which by the way, notice what Jesus says here. He says, and when you fast, verse 16 And then 17, but when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast, or maybe you should fast sometimes. He says when you fast, he has an expectation that we will be fasting. Now, if you remember uh, a couple months ago, we talked about Jesus and his disciples uh, and them not fasting while they're with him. And he said, how can they fast when the bridegroom is here? And they're kind of breaking some of the, the rules of the day and they're with Jesus and there's this a particular instance where they're with Jesus in his face. And he says, they're, they're not going to fast right now. But then he says, but the time is coming when they will fast. And he says here, when you fast. And so the expectation that Jesus has is that we will fast. But when we fast and we remove those things from our life, what it does is it reveals our neediness. I don't know if you've done this before as you I don't know what your what your personal disciplines look like when it comes to fasting or how you've tried that. If you're not sure, we'd love to help you with that. It's a spiritual discipline that God calls us to that's helpful. We don't want to do it to just do it or because somebody said to do it, but to seek God and to truly be yearning for him and needing him and wanting to see him. But I found in my own life at different times when I fast and I get really hungry. Get to the afternoon, I'm really hungry and what's sadly happens is I get like hangry and suddenly I'm kind of a jerk. I'm like, what is wrong with me? And I go, man, how needy am I? Right. My kindness, my patience is dependent on how full my stomach is. I go, Oh God, please take that from me. I don't want to be so needy. I don't want to be so spiritually shallow that I'm not kind because I skipped a meal. But what it does is it reminds me. 
it, it brings me to mourn for my sin and the way I am. It also reminds me of how needy I am of God. It, it turns me back to him in so many ways. And so when we pray and we fast, it helps alert us to those things that takes us into a place of biblically mourning and seeking God and understanding our neediness. And so prayer and fasting both help us in this as we seek to seek God's face, to see him for who he is, to love him for who he is and what he's done, to cultivate that relationship with him. I would also add to that, and I'll just put this together from last week. I'm not going to go back and do the whole of last week. But when we talked about being poor in spirit and mourning, those are going to go so closely together. And so last week we said growing and being poor in spirit means spending time in God's word and being in community, having people speak the truth to you in your life, letting God's word stand over you. I would say those go hand in hand here with mourning biblically as well. Prayer and fasting and spending time in God's word, being in community, having people speak the truth to you. People that know and love you that can point out those areas where you're missing. All of that comes together to bring us to a place of a healthy biblical morning. And so thinking of that, of how we grow in that prayer and fasting word and community as they all connect back to that. Now, the last part here, though. So what is it? Right. What is mourning? Is that brokenness over sin against God in our own life and universally. We grow in it in these ways. But then why does Jesus say it's a blessing? Blessed are those that mourn. And then he says, for you will be comforted. And so I want you to just consider a couple things about why Jesus says it's a blessing. In a lot of ways, if you really stop and think about it, sometimes it doesn't feel like a blessing. When you're feeling the weight of the things around you and you're seeing them and you're walking in that, sometimes that's really difficult. So why would he say that's a blessing? And there's a couple things. The first one I'd say to you is, is as you're mourning biblically, the way Jesus calls to one, it prepares your heart to receive grace. It brings you to a place of your understanding for your need. And that's hard for us at different times. I was thinking about a song just this week as I was working on this. Uh, I went back and looked. I think it came out. I'm always surprised when I read. I'm like, oh, that song. I like that. It came out 18 years ago. It just shows how old I'm getting. I, thought, I wouldn't have thought it was that long. But it was a song by my favorite band. If you know me, you probably know who that is. But it's a band called U2. Oh, Jed said it. I think Professor said it. As a, uh, but they had this song called Yahweh. And it was a prayer. Yahweh is the covenantal name of God in the Old Testament. And they're singing, what he's singing in the song is a prayer to God. And he says things like, uh, take these hands and teach them what to carry. Uh, take this soul and teach it how to sing. Take this mouth and make it not so quick to criticize. And he's just saying these things. And the chorus is, is singing, Yahweh, do this, do this in my life. And then the very last line of the song, remember when it first came out, it gets to the very end. He says, take this heart, take this heart and make it break. And I remember reading reviews about it around that time. And I really liked the song and different things that people were saying. And I read different reviews and different people's comments on it. And they'd all say, oh, I love that end when it says, take this heart and make it brave. I was like, that's not what he says. It's not what he says at all. Right. He says, take this heart and make it break. And I saw people even arguing over. No, 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 that's not what he says. He can't have said, make it break. And I thought about it and I thought the person who says that make it brave and I can't understand why it would be make it break is missing the part of biblical mourning. 
is missing the part of what it means to be poor in spirit. Because what happens when we come to a place of having a broken heart for the sin in the world universally and the things that we see out there, but the sin in my own life and the ways that I struggle and the ways that I don't see it, and I get to a place of recognizing that I could never, ever save myself. Brings me to a place of having a proper understanding of who I actually am, which is what it means to be poor in spirit. God, I know all the ways in which I'm not honoring you. I know the ways in which I so easily can go back to my flesh. And when my heart is broken over the sin in the world, but the sin in my own life, it is there that I'm ready to receive the grace of God. God, I desperately need you to do what I could never, ever do for myself. I love that song because it gets to the end. Take this heart and make it break. And I go, yes, God, break my heart for the things that your heart breaks for. Help me to mourn for the things that you mourn about. That I would see your holiness in all things. And when that happens, we recognize I could never, ever approach God by what I do. It has to be transferring my trust to Jesus and what he's done. And so being poor in spirit and mourning biblically over the things that God mourns for leads us to a place of seeing that we desperately need Jesus. And so Jesus says, blessed are those that mourn. But the second thing I'd say to you is as you do that and as you have this process and as you're mourning the things in your own life and the things in the world. You start to see that chasm between you and God. I had a professor, one of the very first weeks of seminary. I think it was one of the first classes I took. And he said, I just want to warn you as you come into seminary and you're going to spend the next two or three years and you're going to be surrounded by people that love the Lord and want to study the Bible and learn about these things. And he says, your knowledge of who God is, is going to go up exponentially. You're going to learn so much about who God is. And we're going to spend time in the scriptures and we're going to pray. We're going to be in these things and it's going to go way up. But he said, all of a sudden, you're going to feel like you're further from God. He's like, you're still growing and your sanctification is a process and you're still growing in that process. But you're growing like this and your knowledge is going like this. And the chasm's going to feel further and further apart. But then he said, but I want to remind you that when that happens and the chasm seems bigger, that that shows you more fully and more clearly how wonderful the cross is. What Jesus has done to bridge that gap. And as it gets bigger, don't be disappointed and frustrated, but rest in the fact that Jesus has done for you what you could never do. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And you see the heaviness of all the things that are wrong in the world. It shines a light on the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done in a way that you didn't see it before. So don't recoil and go, I don't want to think about all that. I don't want to step into the heaviness of all those things. No, Jesus says, blessed are you when you mourn. Because you see him more fully for who he is. It amplifies the grace of God. But the third thing, and you see it right here at the end of what Jesus says about prayer, and this is really important. Verse 14 and 15, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Kind of a weird statement. Pretty heavy. But I want you to think about what saving faith is. 
Saving faith is transferring your trust from yourself and what you do to Jesus and what he's done. And the only way that you understand that is that you've received the grace of God and the forgiveness that God gives you in Jesus. And so your understanding of that is going to be directly related to the way in which you respond to the people around you. And so when Jesus says, if you forgive others, then you will be forgiven because the connection there is the person who forgives others is the person who understands the grace that they've received. And so when you mourn in the way that God's calling us to, and you are broken for the world and the sin in it, and you're broken for the, the sin in your own heart and the ways in which you struggle. And then you see the grace of God in your life and you turn and you see other people that are far from him and you know what they desperately need because it's what you need. You need the grace of God in your life. Thank you, God, that you have saved me and done for me what I could never do. And it leads you to then love other people in the way that Jesus has loved you. You see the connection. And so when you mourn and when you are poor in spirit and you have an honest evaluation of where you are and what Jesus has done for you, it will give you empathy and concern and care for the people around you that they desperately need Jesus just like you do. Blessed are those that mourn because you start to see that. But the last thing, and we'll end here, it's the last second half of what he says here. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Thank you, God, that that is true. When you mourn over your own sin and you see where you are woefully short, Jesus says, I've come to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And I'm going to give you my righteousness in full. And when I return and you stand before me, you will know it. You will know that all your sin is paid for, that Jesus has done everything that you could never do for you. And you will experience the fullness of that. And then he will make all things new. Right? In Revelation, when it says... And behold, the one who's sitting on the throne and Jesus stands and he says, I am making all things new. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, when Jesus returns, all the might have been's or could have been's or should have been's will be. Because God's grace and the fullness of what he's doing will work backward and it will set everything to rights. And the things that we went through in this life and the mourning and the struggle and the hardship and all those things, we will see him and go, I see what God was doing. And his glory will be shown over the earth as the waters cover the sea and we'll be able to rest in that. And so hear the good news of that. If we look at the things around us and we struggle with the things in the world and the hardship and the things that are there, Jesus says that he's going to set it all right that we will be comforted and it's all because of what Jesus has done. So will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. I pray that you would help us to cultivate hearts that are truly concerned about the things that you are concerned about, that we would love others in the ways that you have loved us, that we would see the things in the world and where they're wrong and understand that it's because of sin in the world, including our own, and that we desperately need you in all things. Give us eyes to see the world, to see people, 
to see the relationships that you've placed in front of us in the ways that you see them. Give us your heart for your world. We pray that we would walk trusting in you in all things and it would be for your honor and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.